Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healing the Nations podcast, our podcast on religious liberty and social justice issues. And we're happy to have a return guest, Elder Dwayne Lemon. Elder Lemon, thank you so much for rejoining us for this episode of Healing the Nations. Oh, yes, my privilege. It's always a blessing to be able to do this. So I thank God for the opportunity. And thank you so much. I know your time is valuable. Elder Lemon, can you update us on what you're doing in ministry right now? Oh, yes. Um, we're very grateful. And I say we because I'm referring to not only myself, but my bride, Alexandra, as well as our four children. We have been working in the New England area. We've been working in Massachusetts specifically. I took on the position of working with the Florence Seventh-day Adventist Church and uh, assisting the pastor in helping the church members as well as ministering to those outside of the church. We presently have about 23 uh, Bible studies with non-Seventh-day Adventists happening every week. And many souls are really opening their hearts to God's truth. And while we're doing that, we're still doing PTH ministries, the family ministry, and traveling in different places and sharing the Word of God with so many who need it. And the Lord is keeping us super busy. So I'm just grateful to be alive and to serve with the life that God has given to me. Amen. Praise the Lord for the Lord giving you so many opportunities. You are a presenter of End Time Events. Yes, sir. And it seems like since we recently commemorated the 16th anniversary of September 11, you actually witnessed it, didn't you? I did. I was right there in Midtown Manhattan. I could go to the corner and actually see the buildings burning right there in downtown. It was amazing. And we know that um, the Spirit of Prophecy talks about New York. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the buildings going down. And sure. it seems like since September 11, we've seen various sequences that validate the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy and end time events. However, it seems like it's a treadmill cycle mm -hmm. that's going over and over again. Yeah. Why do you think that is happening, this treadmill cycle? It, the sequence starts again and it rewinds again and rewinds and it, mm -hmm. It doesn't go to its ultimate end game. Why do you think it's happening that way? Well, one of the things is, you know, there's a saying that is very true. You don't find this saying in Scripture by, you know, verbiage, but you see the principle. So repetition deepens the impression. You know, that's the idea. You repeat something to deepen the impression. There's a repeat of things that have happened from the past that are happening again, like you said, this treadmill, because it's deepening the impression. It's having a psychological impact on the people. For God, of course, he's looking to have his impact upon our minds of our need to get ready, our need to embrace uh, the truths that he has given to us for this time. On the enemy's side, he's deepening the impression that there needs to be a coming together and a gathering together of those who will ultimately oppose God and his law. And a lot of these events that are happening all around us are preparing the way for that. So we're watching this cycle take place because it's a deepening of the impressions upon the mind, both for what God wants, but also for what Satan wants. We're living in a very unique political and social age right now. Very. Our churches, some of our church leaders here in North America, have been vocal on social justice issues, mm -hmm. such as immigration, such as the child separation policy, such as racism and whatnot. And there are elements in our church that are advocating for social justice how do you see this emphasis? Is this something we as a church should focus on? Okay, so the idea of social justice most certainly should be a part of our gospel work. The Bible is very clear, especially when you look at Isaiah 58, uh, verses 6 and verses 7, that we are to meet the needs of humanity on a very, very practical level in society. So 
yes, that's not an issue that we should be addressing it. The real question is how? Should we have an expectation of the government to do the work, or is this a work that God has given to us as his people through the endowment of his Holy Spirit that there's a work we are to do? That's the real question mark at hand. So should we address social uh, injustices? Should we address a lot of the things happening in our world today that's grabbing a lot of news and attention? Sure. But again, we should do it from the perspective of the gospel and the word of God versus from the perspective of how the rest of the world is trying to solve these problems. How is that seen practically? What should Adventist social justice look like? Okay, so as an example, if you see inequality uh, as an issue, let's talk about black-white relations because we know that's an issue. One of the major statements, which we have yet to do, but it sure would be powerful if we did it, uh, one of the major statements that we could make is show you know, the elimination of the segregation of conferences. If we were to start saying, hey, you know what? We're going to make a statement that we all actually are one. We all are from one blood, as we read in the book Acts 17 then one of the ways is let's dissolve some of these dividing lines that's happening within our conferences right now between black conferences and white conferences because that is a form of segregation. And uh, if we can address issues like that and allow those things to begin to dissipate, that would make a tremendous impact upon the communities. Um, In addition to that, of course, we can educate. One of the great things that God has given to us as a movement is the ability to educate. We are very, very rich in knowledge movement. And God has shown us how to meet the needs of, you know, things when there's not proper education, uh, there's not proper uh, hygienic practices, there's not proper health practices. I mean, we have those solutions. So if we could go into our communities, again, in the principle of an Isaiah 58, and begin to clothe the naked, begin to feed the hungry, begin to show them the compassion of Christ, to the circumstances affecting our society and being willing to sacrifice some of our money, time, effort, energy in building others up, ultimately to show them this is what God is like, bringing them in connection with God. This would be a wonderful way that we can do it on a very, very practical level. So that's absolutely a way that we can address, you know, social justice as an example or social injustice. In the other political spectrum, there are those that are openly advocating that we support one political party because of the growing intolerance towards conservative Christian values, such as the growing intolerance from the LGBTQ community on biblical positions on marriage, and also the issues with abortion. And so there are many even within our church that are advocating that we should be involved with the religious right, we should advocate and endorse a conservative political party. What do you say to this? Um, is this something that we should do? And their justification is, is that the temperance movement back in the 19th century, our church supported it, and so on and so forth. Well, you know, when we read volume nine of the testimonies to the church, there's a very powerful statement that we would do well to consider. And I was just getting ready to pull it up here, if I can find it. And uh, I know it's in volume nine. It's somewhere around the realm of page 11 or 12. And or 13. And what it basically shows is that there are many businessmen and many individuals in politics. And it's such a profound quote. Let me see if I can find it very, very quickly. Okay, so I want you to listen to this. This is from volume nine of the Testimonies to the Church, and it's page 13, paragraph three. It says, There are not many, even among educators and statesmen, who comprehend the causes that underlie the present state of society. Those who hold the reins of government 
Now listen to these words very carefully. I'm addressing your question of, should we look to the political realm and to the political world to be a solution to these problems? It says, those who hold the reins of government are not able to solve the problem of moral corruption, poverty, pauperism, and increasing crime. They are struggling in vain to place business operations on a more secure basis. Now let's find out why. The next sentence. If men would give more heed to the teaching of God's word, they would find a solution of the problems that perplex them. So this is the issue. When we look to politics and we look to politicians and we want them to try to be an instrument in solving our problems, and they may try, but these things are either without scriptural support or in complete contradiction to true biblical support, this is the issue. The labor that they will put forward will be in vain. It will be like a Band-Aid over a gushing wound, even if we see something positive come out of it. God has given us this light so that we don't make the mistake of investing our time and our energy and our effort into politics, which cannot solve the problem. God is saying to you, he's saying to me, and he's saying to us as his people, I am the solution. The gospel, ministry healing, uh, 363, the gospel is a wonderful simplifier of life's problem. If we take the practical principles from the gospel and begin to implement them in society amongst the people, this is how we can help individuals have better business practices. They can have less crime. They can have the removal and destruction of racism and all these things because now we're getting them in contact with the true power source that can bring about not just merely an external outward cooperation, but a true change from the heart. So how would a Seventh-day Adventist that's passionate about the cause against abortion, how could they go about it without being involved in political movements? One of the first things we can do is we can present to the people God. Help them understand who God is. And one of the things that the Bible is very clear about God is that he is life. And one of the things we also are clear about God is that he is the author of life. And God does not give us the prerogative of simply deciding when a life can end. This is not something God has given to us. It's a prerogative that belongs to him and needs to stay with him. If we can educate people, again, one of the key roles as Seventh-day Adventists is we are educators. There's at least 72 times in the writings of Ellen White where it says, educate, 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 back to back. And so it is that that's what we can do. Go into the communities, educate the people, help them to understand who God is and who they are in Christ. Help them to see all the precious stories of mothers who were impregnated, whether it be through rape or some other terrible event, but how the child coming into the world is not the sin. And when that child comes into the world, many a children who have come into the world under those circumstances have turned out to be some great and wonderful people that have powerfully impacted society. And so again, this is an opportunity for us to teach people to trust God. This is an opportunity for us to show people the importance of abstinence, the importance of sex being reserved for marriage. All of these are lessons that we can give that from a governmental standpoint, they're not giving it. It's not their job to do that. And so these are all sorts of areas where we can really 
help solve the problems of abortion on an educational level. Uh, we can help individuals on a practical financial level. There are many things that we can do in the name of benevolence that can help that mother who's been removed from her home because the father said, get rid of that child or you can't come back here, and things of that nature. What if we had places that we can help to house individuals like that and to give you know what they need, the gospel, practical support, etc.? These are all sorts of things that we can do as God's people, and we don't need to go to politics to do any of these works just mentioned. The current administration is portraying itself or conveying the notion that they protect the religious liberty of Christians. How do you see this current administration in regards to religious liberty? You know, you have to be a student of prophecy, which we all are supposed to be. Prophecy is the foundation of the movement of Seventh-day Adventists. We know, according to Daniel 2, those feet of iron and clay is going to be the mingling of churchcraft and statecraft, reuniting church and state. That's going to be the effort done between the feet of iron and clay. We see this in Revelation 13, the image of the beast being set up. The image of the beast was a world superpower on a civil level as well as a religious level. And so when the wound of the beast is healed, it is the reunion of the civil powers and the religious powers. And so when we see our government beginning to get more and more and more on the topic of uh, religion and Christianity, and of course, you know, talking about the importance of religious liberty, etc., prophetically, we need to look at that and say, hey, we know that even if it sounds good right now, it is going to ultimately lead to a boomerang effect upon the faithful people of God. So therefore, when our government is trying to even minutely reunite church and state, that is when we should be the protesters of that and saying, no, we do not need to do that. This needs to be an issue of conscience, not something that is mandated ultimately through law, through the government. And that is what the creeping is leading up to, and those with the prophetic eye were supposed to see that. Should Seventh-day Adventists advocate for the religious liberty of non-Christians? Should Seventh-day Adventists advocate for religious liberty to non-Christians? For non-Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. God allows people to choose from Joshua 24, 14 and 15, from Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, from 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. God makes it clear, choose, make a choice. And he says, if you choose death, okay. If you choose life, okay. He makes it clear, I want you to choose life. I don't want you to choose death, but I'm going to respect your right to choose. God believes in religious liberty for all people. He does not want to compel people. He's not looking for a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar that says, all of you must worship the God of Daniel or else your homes get burnt down and your family gets turned into dung. God does not believe in forced worship. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God believes in reasoning together and letting people see the light of his love. He's not looking for automation worship. He's looking for free will worship that comes from people who have gone through a conversion experience by beholding his love. This is what God wants. And so, again, God wants religious liberty, not just merely for seven-day Adventists, but for all people. Everyone must make their own choice and have the freedom to make their own choice. Is there any prophetic significance of the growing intolerance towards Muslims? Oh, yes, there is. I mean, first of all, we know that 
uh, Ishmael's hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against Ishmael. That is for sure. Uh, we know that even during around the period of the Dark Ages, there was this time period of you know, the, the Ottoman Empire and what have you. Certainly, in these last moments in Earth's history, again, we're seeing Ishmael's hands being against every man and every man's hand against Ishmael. So God has made it known that this will take place. Ultimately, where it would lead to, these are things that I'm still fleshing out as I'm, you know, studying through, you know, Daniel 11 and, of course, Revelation. So there are some things that I believe does have a deeper implication, but at the same time, I wouldn't be able to reference it now. But do I see ultimately a connection? Yes, I do. And what is the connection do you see? Well, what happens to one ultimately will happen to another. So, again, the intolerance that we see taking place towards our Muslim brothers and sisters because they appear to be a threat, because they appear to have a very fundamentalist type of attitude in the way they approach their religion, and of course we're talking about quote-unquote radical Islam, uh, in like manner, we're told prophetically that the faithful will be looked upon by the world, Seventh-day Adventists will be looked upon by the world as odd, singular, straight-laced, and the last word she uses extremists. So what we see taking place with our Muslim brothers and how they label the terrorists, and, and you know, when you look at the uh, Homeland Security's definition sometimes of what constitutes a terrorist, and you'll see sometimes it might just simply be encouraging people to go against the status quo. Well, if that be the case, if the status quo says that we want to accept church and state, if the status quo says we want to establish even a Sunday law, and if we begin to protest against that and go against that, then we could be labeled fundamentalists, extremists, and terrorists. And if that were to happen, then what we saw happen to our Muslim brothers and sisters, we need to buckle up because now we're going to see that happen to us. And this is more the reason why, even for our Muslim brothers and sisters, we should be protesting against any steps that are happening in government to suppress them. Because in truth, while we are being an instrument to bring protection to them, it also is going to work out for protection to us for at least enough time that we can truly get ready to meet our God and help others to do the same. There's been a proactive effort of various social media heavyweights to put down certain quote-unquote objectionable material mm. on Facebook and YouTube and whatnot. Is there any significance to that? Now, I want to be clear. So you're talking about, are you talking about the heads of the social media organizations? Yes. Okay, so you're saying, you know, again, Zuckerberg or what have you, that they are putting forth efforts to kind of quarantine or control what's being put out there on social media. This is what we're referring to. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, man, this is getting serious. Um, we are seeing that we're getting closer and closer to an ultimate intolerance because these efforts are being made to guard against what's considered to be hate speech. All right. The only problem is, is that everybody is left to private interpretation of what constitutes hate. So let's use an example. Right now, if a Christian says that we believe that it is unbiblical, not of God, for a man and a man to carry on in a relationship uh, one with another as a man would carry on in a relationship with a woman. If we say that, rather than us just having our conviction of a biblical principle, it is more so being interpreted as hate speech. Now, I did watch one organization, the Young Turks, and they did put on a program with, they certainty helped me and I hope they helped every other Seventh-day Adventist that may have watched it. They showed us that we have a grand opportunity. One of the reasons why many in the LGBT community are referring to Christians specifically as carrying on 
hate speech is because their response is, okay, you want to quote Leviticus 18 or Leviticus 19 to tell us that our lifestyle is wrong. Yet, it's Leviticus 11 that says you shouldn't eat shellfish. And then they go on, and, and the Bible also says you shouldn't wear jewelry, and the Bible also says, I mean, they literally do this. I do PowerPoint presentations where I literally train missionaries on how to deal with this because there are people who actually are using this to say, you're not trying to uplift the Bible. You're highlighting aspects of the Bible that speaks against people that you hate. And so, therefore, it is termed hate speech. So this is what's going on big time in LGBTQ community. So, again, you know, we're termed having hate speech. The problem is, is that they're saying because there's an inconsistency, this is our issue. So, again, one of the great grand opportunities for Seventh-day Adventists is that we can say, hey, we're in agreement. The Bible says no unclean animals, and we agree with that. The Bible says no jewelry, we agree with that. Then what the LGBTQ community can say is, wow, okay, at least you're more consistent. But they haven't really seen that yet because we haven't been very vocal as a worldwide church on some of these agitating issues. So again, when I look at any of the social media teams out there blocking out the hate speech, again, they're quarantining groups, they're categorizing, they're putting in a certain direction that we know ultimately is going to lead to a persecution. So we do see these things coming down the pipeline, and uh, it's it's a very creeping process, but the steps are getting a bit bolder. So this is the time God's people really need to be praying and seeking him for wisdom on how we even express what we believe and uh, how we can help provide a greater understanding of the gospel in comparison to even some of the radical Christian groups that are making extreme, unbiblical statements and causing more division and misunderstanding. A few months ago, the Attorney General of the United States quoted Romans 13. Yep and asserting the compliance and obedience of citizens to the American government, saying that it was biblically ordained Mm -hmm. in regards to the immigration issue. What do you say to this? You know, I remember reading the article. I read it up until yesterday as I was preparing for some messages. And, you know, it's, it's a very concerning thing because, again, this goes back again to the LGBT movement. You know, you're picking verses that are convenient to quote, as it relates to your agenda. And that is an issue. So when you see these type of things happening with the attorney general and making these statements, you know, how convenient it is to now use the scriptures to support this idea. And again, they didn't even use the scripture appropriately. Like again, Romans 13 was not really backing up ultimately what they were trying to do, which was to oppress another group purely because of, you know, where they're from and and, and so on. And stigmas and stereotypes attached to these groups. I mean, there was a lot of stuff you have to filter through to say, does Romans 13 really apply to this agenda that they're trying to do? But what's the larger picture? The larger picture is, hey, folks, America's getting to the point that not only are they pushing more for the religious right, not only are they pushing more towards the right versus the left, not only are they Uh, Again, taking various steps from the Johnson Amendment and onward to try to slowly but surely reunite church and state. We need to pay attention to the fact now they're quoting scripture to support their actions. And we know John chapter 16, uh, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, there's a time coming where they will even kill you and say they are doing God's service. So we know, okay, this is another step. 
that's leading us in this direction. And again, this is where God's people need to be studying. We need to be praying. We need to be consecrating our heart because God is allowing us to see prophecy unfold so that we can get ready and then help enlighten others that they too can be ready for this very real final crisis. Prophetically, what is the impact of the religious right so supportive of the current administration? Well, again, so we know that the first beast and the second beast must unite. And then we know, and the first beast, of course, is the papacy. The second beast is the United States of America. Um, primarily within the United States of America, it's going to be apostate Protestantism. All right. Now, in Revelation 13, 14, we know that the way that the image of the beast gets set up is that it has to come from the bottom, from the people, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. The people at the top want it, but they're encouraging the people at the bottom. And because of the way that we make decisions in our country, we know that as the people agitate the issue, these things can get voted, they get voted into law, and hence Whatever is going to come to pass will come to pass. So when I see what's happening with the religious right and how there's strengthening one of the other, again, we're seeing a playing out. Clearly, to those who are looking for it, they're playing out prophecy very well. And this is God's way of letting us know time is almost finished. Your ministry has reached out to members of the religious right or Christian evangelicals sure. and also Muslims. Absolutely. Can you describe how you did this? You know, um, number one, community engagement. Uh, one of the things I'm very grateful for is that we meet lots and lots of people. I'm very thankful that as much as we teach God's truths for this time, we have a pretty large non-Seventh-day Adventist audience. And there are individuals that have contacted our ministry that some of them are in high places. They are celebrities and they work with others who are in high places and make decisions. And we counsel with these people. We instruct these people. We show them the words of God, and they take it, and then they share it with their counterparts. They share it with their friends. They share it even with some who disagree with them. And so what we're finding is that we're meeting a lot of people on a grassroots level, and we're talking with them as far as the Muslim community is concerned. We're privileged, especially in our health ministry. That has been very attractive in beginning the relation with those from you know, various aspects of Islam. You have the Nation of Islam, you have Sunni Islam, and the list goes on. But one common ground is when you're sick, you need help, and if somebody knows how to help you, they're willing to open their hearts. So what we have found is that as we minister to those in the Muslim community, they also are saying, hey, you guys are doing something really good. We appreciate what you're sharing, and we want to help support that in whatever way we can. And so what I'm finding is as we do practical ministry, going into cities, going into neighborhoods, holding everything from an evangelistic meeting or holding some type of gospel of health meeting, doing health consultations, ministering to people's needs, etc. We're finding that we're winning their confidence. And when you now can impart instruction, hey, what do you think about what's going on here? What do you think about what we just saw on CNN or whatever? That is the typical door opener where people say, oh, you know, haven't thought about that. So only on that level right now, grassroots level, are we reaching in these communities, influencing thoughts that ultimately will impact when there's a call for votes and things of that nature to be made? As far as my ability to get to the, the, the bigger wigs of the world, you know, I'm still praying and just waiting on God for that. But I'm thankful for this part of the influence that God is allowing us to have. 
And uh, I'm very grateful that PTH Ministries has gotten to a place where many from the non-Seventh-day Adventist community are listening and are commenting and are sending in and sending emails with questions and what have you. And these are those ways that we find inroads to ultimately reaching their hearts and imparting the true gospel, a true understanding of Protestantism and why it existed and why it still needs to exist. And many are responding favorably. And how did they come across your messages? Well, you know, one of the things we always try to do is keep our messages very, very biblical. Certainly, we believe in the writings of Ellen White, and there are times that I reference it. But we keep it very Bible uh, tense, Bible intense. We keep it very heavy with scripture, and we try to present it in a way that's practical, that people can hear it and think about it and say, you know what? Yeah, I've gone through that, too. Okay, I like what this guy is saying. This makes sense. And so that's been the goal, and the goal is apparently being achieved because that's how they're responding. They're saying, what you said there ministered to me. What you said there, uh, I'm, I'm in that situation right now. What would you say? What could help? And so we're finding that as a result of giving the gospel in a very practical way, um, it allows people to say, I may be of a different religious persuasion, but I'm going through some of those same exact issues, and it sounds to me like what you're sharing is actually good. Even to the point that many a times they said, I need to know how to get those books. You say things like a great controversy or I need to know how to get those. So one thing I learned about Ellen White's writings a long time ago is that they are a magnification of what the scriptures say. So when I study the Bible or even when I study her writings, whenever I run into a powerful point, I'm looking, where did that come from from scripture? Because it's there. And what I need to do is find it. And I seek and I find And so I share it first from the Bible and then let the spirit of prophecy be like an echo to it. And I have found that the non-Seventh-day Adventist community responds very favorably to that. Elder Lemon, thank you so much for joining us in this podcast and sharing your thoughts from Inspired Council. Amen. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, always welcome anytime you come through Southern California. (laughs) Yes. And uh, can you close us off with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Father in heaven, we truly are grateful. We're living in very serious, very solemn times. We're living in a time where we consistently have to search our hearts and make sure there is no wicked way within us that would block your spirit from being able to work freely in us. And Lord, we know that many of us, we want good things, but sometimes we pursue them in a wrong manner. And so it is many of us today are investing more of our time, effort, energy, money, and otherwise into politics, but you have spoken plainly on these things. These are not the channels that we are to go through, yet we can be a practical solution to a very real problem. I pray that you will help all of those who are listening to be faithful to the things that you have said to us in great clarity through your words of inspiration and help us to remember if we know these things, happy are we if we do them. Let this be our experience in Jesus name. Amen.